In this Greatest Hits sermon series, we've been exploring scripture through the lens of music, both of them comprising the soundtrack of our lives. In the past two weeks, we've looked at the archetypal party song and the love song. And today, we'll be taking a detour down a darker alley, namely the breakup song. The refuge of broken hearts. And that leads us to the garden outside of Jesus' tomb, where Jesus says goodbye to Mary Magdalene. It's an Easter text, of course, about his resurrection. But today, being as it's not Easter, we have the opportunity to look at it a little bit differently. To focus not only on new life, but on the old life that it always leaves behind. For in spite of its good news, this is a poignant text, a sad one even, worthy of a sad song. All four of the Gospels tell the story of the empty tomb. You can find them on pages of 482 to 487 in the Spark Story Bible, which is a combination of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, But our text today is from John 20, verses 11 through 17. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, Lord of loving hearts and of broken hearts, may the words of my mouth, and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. She's up against the register With an apron and a spatula With yesterday's deliveries And tickets for the bachelors 
She's a moving violation From a conk down to her shoes It's just an invitation to the blues You feel just like Cagney She looks like Rita Hayworth At the counter of the Schwab's drugstore you wonder if she might be single She's alone and likes to mingle Got to be patient, try to pick up a clue She said, how you gonna like them Over medium or scrambled You said anyways, the only way Be careful not to gamble on a guy with a suitcase And a ticket getting out of here In a tired bus station With an old pair of shoes This ain't nothing but an invitation to the blues It's a sad song, to be sure. Tom Waits' Invitation to the Blues tells the story of a hapless drifter just passing through who falls in love with a waitress in a bus station diner. It's a love song, kind of, but a fatalistic one. As the refrain keeps on reminding the listener, this romantic pursuit is just an invitation to the blues, an endeavor that's doomed to end badly. Popular music has always been dominated by love songs and their inevitable counterpart, the breakup song. As a much younger man and heavy metal aficionado, this used to irritate me to no end. The scope just felt so narrow, you know, when music could be used to tell stories or to interrogate the great philosophical questions or to spark a revolution why was so much of it dedicated to cheesy love songs and people crooning about their broken hearts? This one, Invitation to the Blues, is a little bit of both. A longing to be with somebody, but all the while believing that there's no such thing as happy endings. But you can't take your eyes off her, waits croons. Get another cup of java. It's just the way she pours it for you, joking with the customers. To be fair, he comes off as a little bit of a creep, staring at this waitress, leering. But the lyrics treat him sympathetically as a man who's been to hell and back. And as he drinks his fifth cup of coffee, he reflects on old heartaches and failures. There ain't nothing back in Jersey, he laments but the broken-down jalopy of a man I left behind and the dream I was chasing and a battle with booze and an open invitation to the blues. He invents a backstory for her, too, the waitress, imagining the lousy jerk who must have broken her heart. He probably left her for a socialite and didn't love her except at night. And then he's drunk and never even told her that he cared. 
Looking back, most of us can probably recite a litany of broken hearts. Things that didn't work out. Relationships that went sideways. Blind dates with weirdos that left you scrambling for the check. Maybe you were the weirdo. Wondering why the other person won't return your calls. A long time ago, I had dinner with a woman that a friend of mine had introduced me to. And she asked me what I wanted most in life. And I looked her in the eye and I told her that if I could have one wish, it would be to see the four horsemen of the apocalypse with my own two eyes. <laughs> to behold their terrible majesty and despair. Who says something like that on a first date, you know? <laughs> Me, apparently. But I can't be with someone who can't appreciate my eccentricity or the finer points of the book of Revelation. It's important to get these things out of the way up front. Now, in all seriousness, friends, getting your heart broken is a lousy business. The rejection leaves you feeling off balance, unsure of yourself, insecure, the whole world feels gray, like every ounce of beauty has drained out of it. And when it's someone that you're really close to, the pain of them tearing away from you can be unbearable. Same could be said of any loss, really. When a relationship is sundered, either by choice or by circumstance, by divorce or by death, it hurts. And it begs the age-old question, is it better to have loved and lost or to have never loved at all? This text from the Gospel of John is not the story of a breakup exactly, but it's a poignant story of a parting, of two people who care deeply about one another being forced to go their separate ways. And if you're the sort to cry at the end of Casablanca, well, it can be a little hard to watch. It's a text that's usually reserved for Easter, as it recalls Jesus' resurrection and his encounter with Mary Magdalene outside of the tomb. But while we, his followers, celebrate his resurrection, his closest and most devoted follower also had to endure the pain of losing him a second time. Having already watched him perish on the cross, and then having been distraught by his missing remains, Mary is overjoyed beyond belief to see him alive. Mary, Jesus whispers, and recognizing him, one can well imagine that she ran to him and threw her arms around him, determined to never let him go again which prompts Jesus to utter the words that always fill me with a terrible sadness. Mary, don't hold on to me. Now, in order to fully appreciate this tender moment, we do well to understand the nature of Jesus and Mary's relationship. Let's start with what we know, and then we'll move on to what we can speculate, and that may help us to arrive at what we believe. We know that Mary Magdalene was a follower of Jesus, a disciple in all but name. 
The Gospel of Luke introduces her in its eighth chapter, along with some other women who accompanied Jesus in his travels. The twelve were with him, it reads, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. In other words, we can infer that Mary was also Jesus' benefactor, or one of them, a woman of some means who financially supported his mission. Now, of course, this conflicts with the more popular narrative in which Mary Magdalene is a prostitute. You see, she's often mistakenly conflated with other unnamed women in the text, confusing her with adulteresses and promiscuous women. This practice, it turns out, can be traced back to one lousy sermon preached on Easter in the year 581 by Pope Gregory I, in which he decided that a so-called sinful woman in the seventh chapter of Luke's gospel was, in fact, Mary, and the rest is history. I sure hope some know-it-all isn't critiquing my sermons in 1,500 years. They can't all be winners, folks. So this is what we really know. Mary was not a prostitute, but rather a woman of means who admired Jesus and accompanied him on his travels, which she probably also helped to finance. But if we dig a little deeper into apocryphal, non-canonical manuscripts, then we can speculate just a little bit more. There are several sources that hint at a deeper relationship between Jesus and Mary. Now, some are more credible than others, in my opinion, so we'll focus on those. The first of these is the apocryphal Gospel of Mary, composed in Greek in the second century, in which the other disciples bear witness to the intimate relationship that they share. In this text, the risen Christ imparts cosmic secrets to Mary, which she then shares with the other disciples. But they don't want to listen to her. And Peter especially comes off as jealous. Did he really speak to a woman secretly, without our knowledge, and not openly? Peter asks the other disciples. Are we to turn and all listen to her? Did he prefer her to us? Only Levi comes to Mary's defense, citing Jesus' love for her. Peter, you are always angry, he says. If the Savior made her worthy, who are you to reject her? Surely the Savior knows her very well. That is why he loved her more than us. In a similar vein, we have the Gnostic Gospel of Philip probably written in 3rd century Syria. Its author writes, The companion is Mary Magdala. Jesus loved her more than his students. He kissed her often on the face, more than all his students. And they said, Why do you love her more than us? Now, this material is purely speculative. It doesn't prove that Jesus and Mary were lovers or that they were married, as some have come to believe. Though I suppose it's possible 
that at the very least there might have been some unspoken thing between them. Regardless, the authors of the gospel didn't seem to care, and I don't really care either. I don't, I don't care how they loved each other. I'm only interested in how much they loved each other. I only quote these texts to demonstrate how close they appear to have been and how much it must have hurt them both when circumstances tore them apart, not once, but twice. Mary, don't hold on to me. We were driving home from Red Lobster when she told me that we were finished. This was about 15 or so years ago, but I'll never forget the sliver that worked its way into my heart that night. We'd been together for a couple of years, and I really thought we had a future together. And frankly, the whole thing sort of broke me for a while. For a good year or so after that, I found myself living in a strange fog, watching myself behave oddly as if from the outside looking in. I saw myself sleepwalking to my job, just going through the motions, staying up late watching old black and white samurai movies and eating Funyuns, my mind blank and a dull ache in my chest sitting in the car and listening to Tom Waits croon about his bad liver and his broken heart, walking the New Haven streets at night, climbing to the top of the Temple Street parking garage and looking down on the city like Batman, quietly sneering at the cheerful revelers below, sitting in the back of my grad school classes, chewing on a toothpick and wearing sunglasses like I was a vampire. Friends, I'd like to say that I just wasn't myself. But to be fair, I did all of those things before we broke up, too. Which probably has something to do with the reasons for leaving me. <laughs> I jest, but it hurt. And I did everything I could over the next few weeks to change her mind, but it was too late. Don't hold on to me, she said. Actually, it was Something more like, stop calling me. But <laughs> No matter who we love, our partners, our parents, our friends, even our children, one day we'll have to say goodbye. There is an impermanence to this life that we cannot change. Even Jesus, God's word made flesh, knew what a broken heart felt like. But that didn't stop him from loving deeply. Whatever it was he shared with Mary, whatever the nature of their relationship, Jesus knew that it couldn't last. He knew, I think, that he wasn't long for this world. But he loved her anyway, with all of his heart. How often do we hold back in life, deciding that hope isn't worth the disappointment, that joy isn't worth the risk, that love isn't worth the pain? Love is always an act of courage, but it's a risk worth taking, because let's not forget that this scripture is, in the final analysis, a story of resurrection. Life goes on 
even when it hurts. Jesus found new life in heaven, and Mary found it on earth, finding a new purpose and preaching the gospel, as well as any man, I might add. The woman who left me found a new life, too. But then, so did I. And I have no regrets. Every song comes to an end. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't worth singing. As for that old drifter who fell in love with a waitress while waiting for the next bus, well, I think he arrived at the same conclusion that pain is the cost of loving deeply, and it's a price he's willing to pay. Cause there's a continental trailways leaving, local bus tonight, good evening. You can have my seat, I'm sticking round here for a while. Give me a room at the Squire, the filling station's hiring And I could eat here every night What the hell have I got to lose? It's a crazy sensation Go or stay, I gotta choose And I'll accept your invitation To the blues Friends, as you go forth from this place, may you find a way to sing a new song. May you find the courage to take risks. May you find the courage to love as Jesus did, even when it hurts. Amen.